0: Welcome back, all you stupendous sunflowers out there to another week of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by the incredible Casey today.
1: I'm going to go with a very tired Casey, but I appreciate <laughs> the faith in me. <laughs>
0: So Casey and I are friends. We are former co-workers. We worked in conservation education. And while neither of us are currently doing that professionally, it is what we love. We love nature. We love talking about it. We love helping other people discover their love of nature. So that is why we're here we're so thankful for all of you listening. And Casey, as always, it's wonderful to see you this week from afar. How are you doing? How was your week? Have you gotten any nature time in this week? How did you do? We talked about parks last week with Olivia. And so we challenged each other and our listeners to get out and find a park. Did you get a chance to, I know you've had a busy week, but <laughs> how, how are things going? <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, guys, uh, I'm, I mean, let's, let's be honest and be real for a second. I think we're all having maybe a similar week here in the U S in that, um, there's a lot of overwhelming things going on mm-hmm. and compared to other people around the country, our week is just fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, personally, I'm still house hunting with, Uh, Andrew. And the good things that have happened is that it was freakishly warm for a couple days this week. We didn't get to go out to a park because those happened on days that we worked, but we did. I, I got a little bit of outside time today. Um, I've mentioned before, I, I live with my dad right now. Um, my fiance and I live in the basement, um, but he has a really wonderful property that I grew up on. It was my grandparents' house. And during the winter, you don't really leave the house very often. So it's almost like those couple acres go basically taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And today I just took ginger out a little bit into the woods and like stood next to a Creek that I spent a lot of time playing in when I was a kid. And like, I felt very connected to nature, very connected to the land. So that was uh, a really good, much needed nature moment. Cause today was a long day. It's been a long week. <laughs> so I did not get to a park, but I did get my nature time and at least for a little bit. So I am sitting on that accomplishment <laughs> and, and saying that that's enough. What about you, Sarah? Did you accomplish your parks task?
0: I did not. And it was really frustrating because I had it planned out. And as you say, nothing that happened to me this week is really anything of any consequence, but I think perhaps in part because of all of the things that are going on in the world, everything just felt very magnified for me this week. And on this past Saturday, I was planning to go to a new park, to, to one of the local parks around me that I haven't gotten a chance to visit before. And then it was just sort of everything went wrong and it wasn't fun anymore and i was tired and frustrated and behind on schedule and had things that i needed to get done and so it didn't happen and that was sad and just just generally frustrating but I, I will go again. I will, there will be more opportunities. So I have a couple of places actually. Now the original place that I was going to go, I found out it, it d- does not allow dogs. So okay. I've been planning on taking my dog. So I still want to go there, and I'll do that at some on my own, but I then found another park nearby that is dog-friendly, so I have places to adventure to in the future, but yeah, not a lot of outdoor outdoor time for me this week, but I had a couple of just moments, you know, we, we talked about that way back at the beginning when we first started this podcast last year of just taking advantage of those moments when you can, so You know, I get maybe 10 minutes outside when I come home to let my dog out over lunch. And uh, there seems to be a mockingbird that hangs out around my house. So I get to listen to the mockingbird sing (laughs) when I go out for lunch. And then today I got home for lunch and I have to get just get out of my car to open my garage door. And right as I stepped out of my car, a bald eagle flew overhead. Cool. Just like right overhead. And I've seen at least a half a dozen bald eagles since I moved back to Florida. So uh, so those were happy uh, moments. And I also got some virtual nature time in. And I'm going to completely blank on the name of the park. It's a, But it's a park out in California that has an eagle nest cam. Yay. Those and are fun. one of the eggs, the, this pair of eagles was sitting on a couple of eggs and one of them hatched a couple of days ago. So I've been watching baby eagles get fed and that's, that makes me smile.
1: Yeah, that's great. If any of you guys out there did your homework and you went to a park this week, give us a shout out on social media. We want to congratulate you for accomplishing something <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and getting your nature time in.
0: And we hope it was helpful and restful yeah. and positive for you.
1: Yeah. If you are wondering like, why are you guys so like, we get where you're in nature podcast, but <laughs> what's with this emphasis, um, go back and listen to episode two, get outside. We talk about um, the advantages of being outside and the scientific amount of time that you need to be spending outside in order to reap the optimal benefits. So <laughs> it's good for you. And it's definitely a week, I think where we need it you've seen the title you know today we're going to talk about the wildlife of Ukraine Um, obviously there's a lot going on in the world right now there is not a lot (laughs) that I I feel like I think a lot of us feel powerless Mm -hmm. in in the face of this situation and our little little podcast is really supposed to be a source of education and joy in my brain and so we're not going to focus on the human tragedy that is happening there right now, even though our hearts go out to everybody who's out there and all of the Russian citizens who have protested what's going (laughs) on there, this is uh, not about some sort of nationalism so much as uh, today we're going to talk about the animals and wildlife that we can find alongside humans in Ukraine.
0: Yeah, so hopefully this will be positive and just it's it's coming in part just this this is a way that we can show that we are thinking of of all of you who are involved, and uh, our hearts are with you. So that's at least something that we can do right now.
1: Yeah, and all the other parts of the world that are also in conflict, we uh, we're thinking of you especially this week. So moving on to slightly happier sides of things, uh, this question I thought of Sarah because one, you are a big reader. And two, because a lot of the wildlife that I came across in researching this week reminded me of animals in storybooks that I, I read growing up. Specifically, I saw a gray goose that was like straight up mother goose.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it just reminded me. So I was wondering, Sarah, what's your favorite animal in a children's book? Do you have like a favorite animal character?
0: Oh, of course. I have, I have many. <laughs> I, I, we could do an entire podcast On this question alone, I brought props with me today.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, delightful. (laughs) I
0: can't can't limit it to just one. And honestly, I could give a top 10, but I will not fear all of you listening. And none of these are particularly, like, I feel like as a reader, I should have some unusual ones. And I think at least the... My, my one and two are probably the most common if you were to take a poll of the general audience, so they're not going to be unusual. But I will start with one that is perhaps not quite as well known just because it's more recent, but it was a very notable book. It's called The Tale of Despero by oh. Kate Hello, Are you familiar? She's, yes, a very popular children's author, but I still feel like more people need to read this book. I mean- Talk about if you want some to find some happiness and some positivity. This is just a delightful little book and the character the title character Despero is a mouse with giant ears and the book is all about what happens to him because uh, of those circumstances and how he responds. And it's delightful. So Despero is going to be number three on my list. Uh, number two, which <laughs> was very, down. <laughs> very close to being number one, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. Line with yes. the wardrobe. I can't, I have to, Aslan is just, just a magnificent character for many reasons for me um also love the beavers i was gonna say
1: (laughs) ukraine has no lions as of right Right. now but they do have beavers
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i i don't know how my list isn't gonna be very related to tonight's podcast episode but uh but there you go that's that's number two and then i have to for me uh, number one, just for nostalgia reasons, this is what I credit with being my first ever favorite book as a kid, oh. Charlotte's Web. And I, I would say Charlotte rather than Wilbur because I just, I think, I mean, she's arguably the main character anyway, but uh, I just think that she's a delightful character and I aspire to be more like Charlotte. So there you go. A spider is my favorite animal from a children's book.
1: Excellent. I like your list. Thank you for bringing props. Um, if you're listening, Sarah just showed me all the covers of all of her books. That's why I was reacting before she even (laughs) said anything. Uh, that's wonderful. Aslan was on my list as well. Um, I was like, okay, Chronicles of Narnia for sure. For sure. I thought a lot of Frog and Toad, not because they were my favorite, Mm -hmm. but because my sister loved Frog and Toad growing up a lot. But really one of my favorite books growing up was um, Redwall. Did you ever read Redwall? No. Oh my goodness, Sarah, open a door and let this magical world of woodland animals in Redwall Abbey. Uh, It's a truly delightful adventure tale by Brian Jakes, I believe it's spelled jocks, but I believe it's pronounced Jakes. He's a Scottish author. And so like the main characters are mice and there's badgers and otters and squirrels. And then the enemies are like rats and stoats. And it's great. It is adventureful. Kristen calls because her husband read them as a kid and has like all 20 something of them. And she calls them his mice books, but yes, <laughs> Um I really loved uh, Matthias who is the main character but I'm also a real big uh Squirrel and Badger fan growing up so so Constance and Jess were up there too. So highly recommend if you uh my mom used to read them to us before we go to bed and there's lots of them so they're fun.
0: I'll put it on my list and you just reminded me there was one more honorable mention I had that I I don't actually have a copy of or if I do it's still in a box corduroy. This is not even oh, a th- because yeah. it's, it's not a real animal. It's a teddy you know, bear, he's,
1: he's a but animal, it's yeah. still a
0: bear. And when you said to your mom used to read these books, that's what made me think of it. I don't know if my mom read me this book, but it's, it's the age that I feel like you would read to a kid. And that's another one that just
1: brings me joy.
0: There's so many, I really could talk okay, about. We'll this have phenomenon. to have Sarah's
1: reading <laughs> corner for a different episode, but we are going to get to the wildlife of Ukraine. So stick around and we'll be back in a moment. Back, So we're going to be talking about mostly animals that live in Ukraine. Um, some things to, to note is uh, Europe, you're probably familiar <laughs> with, um, has a lot of countries within it um, that don't necessarily are not necessarily split by borders that are not crossable by animals. So a lot of the animals we're going to talk about today are found in other parts of both Europe and Asia, since Ukraine really sits on the border of those two continents there. And even that line's a very human line to draw. Um, So not that borders don't matter, but borders are not followed necessarily by animals. So if you're European or Asian listener, you might also have some of these animals in your backyard. And if so, we want to hear about it. So Sarah, we were just discussing as we opened, I would just some quick facts about Ukraine. What is the national animal of Ukraine, Sarah?
0: The national animal of Ukraine, which th- this just makes me smile is the common nightingale.
1: Yeah. We are like bravado central here in America with our, our bald eagle yeah. with our like movie caw caw noises that are really red-tailed hawks. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I find it just delightful that they chose an animal that's just a little bit less uh i don't know I, aggressive of a choice is not the right answer but just like it's a very poetic choice yeah I,
0: and i'm not super familiar with nightingales quite honestly my biggest exposure to nightingales it's Cinderella, is they it? Sing- <laughs> it's Cinderella yeah that is exactly what i think about when i think of the nightingale but the first thing when i looked up nightingale is they're described as being known for their beautiful and powerful song, which actually I'll test my editing skills this week if you want, Casey, and I'll see if I can find a a usable clip like that we would be allowed to use. I will put it in there, folks. So if we find it, take a listen to The Common Nightingale. If not, you can pause and look it up on your own. There's lots of videos out there.
1: This is me reacting to this nightingale song even though i've never listened to it melodious so <laughs> so so meaningful <laughs> um i just hear cinderella singing in my head um but uh so uh, shout out to my eighth grade history teacher mr allen one of the best teachers i've ever had he made us memorize all the countries of the world so like i can recite all the countries in africa for example um at least as they were drawn when i was in the 8th <laughs> grade um but it- geography knowing that stuff has been so helpful um and so if you're not familiar ukraine really is it borders russia obviously but it also borders some other eastern european countries like poland but it's kind of towards the south so it's along um waterways as well so it it's nestled in this really amazing part of the world because it has actually very diverse ecosystems within it and it's just slightly smaller than texas if you're trying to think of scale sometimes globes don't help with that so, if you're in the states, think Texas, but different shape, and it's got very fertile soil. So, it's called the breadbasket of Europe, and it's a huge exporter of wheat and their national flower, which is the sunflower. You make sunflower seed oil, and it has over 4,000 square miles of protected area, including almost 50 national parks. So, they they squeezed almost 50 national parks into a, something in the size of Texas. Oh, we only have like 60 something, so. Mm-hmm go ahead ukraine figuring out all all the places you want to protect so there's some mountainous areas on the edges including the crimean mountains and then the carpathian mountains which is just the most fairy tale name
0: <laughs> it, the yeah, carpathian
1: it, mountains it, it, you're yes.
0: right it does it sounds very there needs to be like a castle on a hillside there
1: exactly yes it sounds like its own arid carpathia carpathian mountains um i believe those are to the west and then it's got four step habitat step as in s-t-e-p-p-e um, which sometimes you will see i never feel like that habitat is very well uh, like you it's hard to picture just based on the word but basically it's a mix of forest patches and then arid plains so um there's definitely areas that are more grasslands but then there are areas that are a little bit more patchy forests Polisia, hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly has lowland plains with swamps and marshlands that flood a whole lot and then the coastal areas along the arov and the black seas most of the rivers in ukraine will drain to those and there are animals like uh seals and porpoises and things like that in that area which is pretty cool so Sarah, we we talked about if you live in Europe, you probably are familiar with these animals. And when I was first looking it up, I was like, oh yes, like lots of the, the reason I I brought this up is because a lot of U.S. fairy tales come from. Europe and mm-hmm. we think of like Europe as <laughs> the thing the Europe little mermaid. Is a fairy
0: tale for us. <laughs> it is a fairy tale, right?
1: Like, I mean, if you're listening from another country, our, our vision of Europe is very skewed mm-hmm. by, by, um, by our, our Americanness. And so it always feels like old and, uh, otherworldly in a way, but looking at the wildlife, Sarah, what's something that you noticed about the wildlife when you were looking it up?
0: It was, amazing to me. Like I started looking things up and I was like, I feel like I'm researching animals of the Midwest slash the Great Plains. Like there just seem to be so many commonalities between the wildlife that we can find right here in the United States to the wildlife that we can find in Ukraine. And for some reason that was very surprising to me, but also made me feel like yes. I mean like that we are, we are one world. you
1: know. Yeah. We're connected. I mean, obviously ecosystems are always made up of like, okay, here's the herbivore and they get to a certain mm-hmm. size. You know, we're at a similar latitude from mm-hmm. Ukraine. So you can expect like an herbivore of a certain size and an apex predator of a certain size and a bunch of like, there'll be rodents and things, but these are straight up like extreme parallels. Um, what were some notable examples for you?
0: if you think about like the big animals that we might think of in the sort of that part of the United States, you think of bison, right? Uh, We think of wolves would be another one. I think maybe that was the first thing that I saw was they were talking about the abundance of wolves in Ukraine compared to Yellowstone or, or something like that things like bears, of course. And then this is a random one, but another one of the first things that just sort of popped up, like right when I first started searching, I just searched, you know, wildlife Ukraine. And one of the things that popped up was the black crowned night heron. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, First of all, why is that one of the first things that pops up? But I was like, no, we have those here. They can't have those there, but they can and they do. So.
1: Yeah. There's certain species that like, it's amazing to think about their range. So mm-hmm. birds make somewhat sense to me because they can totally, fly, yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, the overlap is incredible for some place. That's pretty much on the opposite side of the globe from us in a lot of ways, but like bears, for example, these are brown bears yeah. that are in, like, we have brown bears in the West here. They have brown bears in Europe and Asia.
0: And bears uh, is, Maybe like the one that I knew beforehand. Right. Like I sure. knew that they had such a wide and that seems still silly to say. Like, obviously, intellectually, I understand that there are animals that have a wider range. But I guess this, what this really did was this threw into light my United States slash North America bias and perspective, and how that, I mean, that's where I live, and that's just been so strongly my perspective my whole life that I just don't, it it just never fully like clicks and registers how big these ranges are for some of these species.
1: Okay. I didn't even know there were European bison. So that shows my North mm-hmm. American bias. I didn't know. So I thought that was crazy. And then as I was looking up, so, so to give some more examples in there, so we have lots of deer here in the U S they also have deer out in Ukraine. They are different species. So they have roe and red deer. We have white-tailed and mule deer here, mm-hmm. bears, beavers. They have their own species of marmot that for some reason that like struck me. We have marmots <laughs> out in the West. Um, they have a type of large sheep-like animal called a mouflon. Um, and we have bighorn sheep here, foxes, martens, wolves. The one that really got me is I like looked at them, I was like, wow, they even have elk out there and they're called Eurasian elk. Uh, I then looked a little closer and Eurasian elk are just moose. I, could, I, I, I was like, they that. have everything except moose. And then I looked and I was like, no, they have moose. I didn't know. I think of moose as like Canadian <laughs> <laughs> at most, you know, like Northern United States, Canada. Uh, I did not know that they had moose out there but they sure do you know why because that's how they always are in cartoons
0: they're always Canadian they're
1: always Canadian <laughs> uh,
0: I should say too since bison was the first animal that I mentioned they're not exactly the same right they're two no, different, species different species, of bison. species yes. but they look like if you look at pictures of them they are very the
1: same.
0: very yeah. similar
1: Yes. Yeah. These are are not so much always the same species like those marmots. They have a a specific marmot species that lives in Ukraine versus the United States. But just that we have those animals filling an ecosystem role in basically the exact same Mm -hmm. way and setup that we have here in the US, I found that kind of remarkable. And I think it's also just a testament, like here in the US, we also have a lot of habitat diversity. When you're talking about the Midwest, We're thinking of more of that like plains to forest step and then when you get out west it's the mountains and so they have that same range in just a smaller area that's able to accommodate all these really cool animals so yeah that blew my mind you mentioned to sarah um night herons they have all sorts of waterfowl i found that very interesting Uh, bird watchers you guys are always on top of your stuff so they of course have a bird watchers website for ukraine and they have all sorts of things like mute swans, uh, whooper swans, which just feels like the antonym to mute swans. <laughs> um, and then all sorts of like corvids and, uh, like crows and, and rooks and, and Ravens and things like that. Um, but there's just so many different birds, so many different mammals that live out there that feel very familiar. And so that's the first thing that struck me about Ukraine's wildlife.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to mention real quick too, you talked about the over 50 national parks that they have, which is awesome. I, and this was very fast research, so I don't know a whole lot about it, but I, there's this website called ukraineworld.org. And it <laughs> talked about, which is an actual, I, I, there are like, it is an actual organization, but they, there's this article from a few years ago that talks about five biosphere reserves is what they called them. Did you read about this?
1: kind um, of their wikipedia page like linked me to one that really existed but i didn't do further googling yeah
0: okay so yeah so take all of this with a little bit of a grain of salt but i thought it was kind of interesting it it mentioned these particular five locations that had been they said that they were approved by presidential decrees and i won't go through all of them but basically they, they just have these areas and kind of what we talked about in our parks episode in terms of Trying to find that balance between protection and access, so they kind of talk about how tourists or whomever can go visit these places, but only at certain times of the year and they're ticketed or those sorts of things. Uh, and there's a few different ones, but they also mention Chernobyl. Yes, as part of it, which is a whole other kind of interesting phenomenon, if you will, that there is obviously this horrendous thing that happened that is now an area where there are no people. And so this is kind of in a weird way now become a a wildlife reserve as well.
1: Yeah. I didn't want to go too far into it. I was like, that's sad, but yeah. Yeah. It's got more wildlife there in higher concentrations because of the lack of people. They do have impacts from the radiation. They found that the size of birds brains out there are like 5% smaller than in other areas. So be interesting study on the long-term impacts of that sort of disaster but it yeah it's really interesting I think it would be cool to do an episode of like how animals react to disasters like I think that would be a cool way to look at it yeah
0: and it just I mean it just struck me as as an again yes you're right I don't want to go too too much into it either because it obviously is a big tragic event but it is a very interesting kind of unique situation now
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like a case study basically Mm on on what we can expect after certain things happen like that. Okay. So in some ways, Ukrainian wildlife is extremely familiar, but I did find a couple unusual animals that I wanted us to cover in today's episode. And we're just going to cover two of them because I didn't want to go too far down the, the rabbit hole, or in this case, the Desmond hole. And that'll make sense in a moment. Sarah, I have attached a photo um, here of something called a Russian Desmond, which is found in Russia, as the name says, but also found in Ukraine and a couple other areas. Can you please describe this picture to me and what this animal is?
0: This, I'm looking at two villains from an animated movie <laughs> circa 1975 is what this looks like this is the most bizarre so I see that they are related to moles and that was the first thing I've never heard tell? of this animal I've never seen this before but they have these little tiny eyes basically and these very long pointed noses that they, that it, they just made me think of moles so I'm glad to see that that is the case and I can't see their full bodies it looks like they're pretty pretty small but yeah basically so they're kind of they almost look like black on the back and lighter almost yellowish gray on Mm -hmm. their bellies and then they have these super long pointy bendy looking noses and big I can't tell if there's teeth in there or not but these kind of big whisker like projections off of their upper lip too and then just little little, tiny tiny little eyes but they really look like something that would be the villain of uh, an animal animated movie
1: yeah you should google russian desmond we will put them on our, our, (laughs) our social media they are I, I picked the goofiest picture because it was I like just started cackling in bed, like uncharacteristic <laughs> laughter. And it's just like, what is happening? And these
0: <laughs> these episode. animals look like they're laughing in the they picture, do. too. These are these are two conspiring evil villains laughing yes. at their master plan.
1: Absolutely. Evil laughter is coming and they're going to kidnap Milo and Otis or something, yes. you know, some sort of tiny animal protagonist. Um, Yeah. So the Russian Desmond is a member of the mole family and they are different because they are semi-aquatic. They are the only members of their genus. So they're pretty unique wildlife. And they use that long nose to probe around at the bottom of waterways for their food items. They're eat; they omnivorous. So they eat um, about 72 different documented species of invertebrates and over 30 species of plants. I'm sure there's even more that they eat because I think that there's probably more to study about them seeing as we're a little unsure where they still exist today. And they also use these long notes almost like a periscope to stick out of the water and oh sniff around. Yeah. If you're comparing them to US wildlife, they basically feel the fill the ecosystem role of the muskrat. Like, think about that. If you're familiar with muskrats, so they live in the banks of waterways. They're eating all sorts of stuff in that area, minding their own business, got kind of these webbed toes, as you noted, that counter shading tiny eyes. So they are functionally blind basically. And then no external ears because ears get in the way of digging and swimming. So (laughs) I thought that they were fantastic and so fascinating. It's always interesting when you come across an animal that like looking back in my brain, I had stumbled across them before, but that you just forget exists or didn't know existed. I would say, especially mammals because one there's less of them than there are like birds for example there's less species of mammals that we know about but also like we tend to publicize mammals much more than we do other taxa so knowing that there's desmonds out there there's just it's delightful yep i would (laughs) agree with that now unfortunately russian desmond are endangered they were actually mostly hunted to endangerment uh, because apparently their fur is very nice okay fur coats. So in the 18th century, I believe is when they were really heavily hunted. They're also dealing with things like habitat loss and climate change and invasive species like the muskrat invading their habitats and, and providing competition to them. But these are little social animals. They live in burrows with up to eight individuals hanging out together. Uh, I couldn't find too, too much information about like social behaviors or things like that, but They are just fascinating little, little swimming moles (laughs) (laughs) swimming around. So that is the Russian Desmond. Uh, The next one, Sarah, will you describe this animal to me? It is called the Danube crested newt.
0: (laughs) I don't even, everyone, I don't even know. I don't know how to describe this. I mean, I was going to say, Lizard, but since you said newt I will say this is an amphibian that is on fire is what it looks like it is so I guess it's like salamander but it has like this mohawk crest down its back that looks like it is a freaking wall of fire which is pretty awesome if you ask me it also apparently has a like a butcher's knife for a tail. <laughs> like what? Maybe, maybe leaf shaped is a better way to say it. Uh this <laughs> Leaf shaped. <laughs> it looks this is like this is like an 80s rock star newt right here. So it is black and gold. It's got this crazy crest down its back and this big I guess this is a drawing I can't so I can't quite tell if it's just I, a flat tail I think it's um, a photograph but it's pretty
1: this is a photograph I think it might be I can, it's hard to tell it's not very high resolution so it's a little hard to okay. tell but I do think it is a photograph um when I look at this newt I hear Avril Lavigne's he was a skater boy uh-huh. in my head <laughs> because he's got like this crazy mohawk very like olive green with spots and stripes yeah. and a red stomach um so i think that i was going further yeah. back i was going 80s, 80s rock but... band he was a skater boy she said later <laughs> boy i just want a salamander version of this song now <laughs> um we're gonna have to find a species that is just the uh main character of that song um (laughs) uh so this is the danube crested newt it's found in a couple different countries but it has a small population in ukraine in the dnieper river that's probably not the way you pronounce that word but uh this is a male. So <laughs> crested newts. There's apparently I said this to Andrew, like I was like, oh, look at this newt. And he started saying the scientific name to me because oh my apparently, gosh. yeah, he knows about them. Um, but there are uh, other species of crested newt out across Europe. Um, but the Danube crested newt has just a really spectacularly large crust crest on the males it is a sexually dimorphic trait so that means that the males have it the females do not they're a little less uh 80s hairband i guess they are a little more demure Um, they breed in pools and they're newts. So that means that they are amphibians. They can breathe through their skin. They like wet areas. They can come up on land, but they spend a lot of their time in the water, which I think is why they have that like really intense tail that helps them swim around and probably some cool counter shading to help them camouflage as well. So I found them super interesting. Uh, they are also endangered. <laughs> uh, they are mostly in due to habitat loss. And then this sort of struck me, Sarah, I don't know that we've really talked about it, but this is an aquatic species that's living in aquatic habitats. And it's easy to understand, I think, how land habitats are lost. Like, uh, it's a farm now, right. but like, I think it's sometimes hard to think about why aquatic habitats are lost or fragmented or degraded. Can you talk about like, maybe not specifically for the Dunube Crested Newt, but how are aquatic ecosystems lost?
0: Yeah, I didn't know this newt existed until today. So (laughs) I can't talk about that specifically. But yeah, you're you're right. It does feel a little bit different. It's like, how can you make a river disappear? And that's not always what we're doing, although we can, Uh, you know, you think about building dams or digging channels and things like that or even water overuse. So we talked about water cycle at some point, one of our episodes last year, we talked about how water has never disappeared, but we can make it so that it is not distributed through the cycle in the same way, basically. So if we're overusing water, I mean, that's, you know, we get droughts and things like that. So irresponsible water use can damage river environments. And you, you mentioned it's not just straight up loss. We're also talking about things like degradation a lot when it comes to water. So building on shorelines can damage rivers. It can lead to erosion in debris in the water. Things like roads or other concrete structures can lead to a lot more runoff, making it into the water and damaging the water quality, making it inhabitable. Uh, especially for sensitive animals like amphibians. So there are lots and lots of human activities that impact our rivers and take those habitats away.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one thing that aquatic species have to deal with. Maybe that land species don't in the same way. Is it that like when certain species are connected to the water, once certain habitat areas become uncrossable... they, they really don't have a way of traveling Mm -hmm. back and forth. So, uh, so for example, for the Ganges river dolphin, I did a paper on them in college. There are just parts of their river that due to seasonal rain cycles get too shallow for them to travel across different areas. Um, for certain salamanders, like the hellbender here in the U S they have areas of their range that are just too polluted. And because amphibians breathe through their skin. They are what we would consider an indicator species, which means that if they are gone, (laughs) they're more sensitive than other animals. So there's something bad happening in the environment that might impact other animals later. They're just the first ones affected by it. A lot of insect species are indicator species. Um, And for these guys, what it's resulting in their common in some parts of their range not in others including ukraine uh they get isolated from other members of their species and that makes the gene pools not as strong so we have that inbreeding that we've talked about in other episodes so that is how you lose water and that's happening in all sorts of different habitats we are going to be wrapping up soon, but I did want to cover some interesting animals that used to live in Ukraine—not like ice age animals, but animals that are still alive today, despite the odds. Honestly, um, so one of them is Chevalsky's horse. Sarah, are you familiar with Chevalsky's horses?
0: Only, yes, I know of them. I don't know a lot about them, but it was the movie. I never watched it, but the
1: spirit. Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. No, no, no. No, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, one of my favorite films of all time as a child, um, was about a horse in the American West and okay. his journey but he like does kind I of I never look like it. one
0: yeah because that that's what i don't know anything about it i didn't even know the full title of the movie yes maybe <laughs> would have been a, a good indicator. but they have that kind of they're that kind of tan coloration yes. with the darker maiden tail is the reason no i
1: think actually if if you know what we're talking about when you're thinking of spirit uh, um picture spirit or- think of him. But he had a long stockier. mane though, right? Yes. Yeah. So yes.
0: maybe I'm thinking of something else too.
1: Um, Think of like spirit, but you chop his mane down to be kind yeah. of shorter. All of his body parts are thicker and stockier because they generally live in areas that are very cold. Um, and they are really considered like the last true wild horse. There used to be all sorts of wild horse species, speaking as a former horse girl who liked to read horse books. I also um, was
0: former horse I keep, so I've shamed myself as a <laughs> former
1: horse girl. Oh man. <laughs> I, maybe style of spirit came out a little bit like late for you. For me, I was right in the prime (laughs) zone for it. But uh, yeah, Shevalsky sources, they are in some American zoos. You should check them out. They only exist because of managed breeding within human care. And they have been reintroduced out into the wild, I believe in like a Russia, Mongolia kind of area. And they're in a sort of semi-managed situation where they've been released out on a reserve, but their populations are monitored really closely because there's only a couple of them left, but they are cool stocky take no crap horses <laughs> that still, uh, exist to this day. They're kind of one of those like leftovers from an, an older time. And also the saiga, I don't know. If I've ever heard anybody say the name out loud. Um, can you describe a saga to us?
0: Oh, okay. So they are they're a type of antelope and no, I can't because they're bonkers, <laughs> they have these crazy faces, noses, that almost, I don't, it almost hey, reminds like, me of a taper.
1: <laughs> oh no, that's not <laughs> a bad comparison. Like that yeah, kind
0: of nose, uh, if you've seen a taper before, which maybe not everybody has, but, uh, but that's, that's what it makes me think of this kind of, it's uh, kind of protrudes a little bit and then curves around, Flops down, down.
1: Yeah, yeah. almost like a Squidward nose. I think yeah. they look like a Star Wars character. Like the first time I saw one, I was like, that's <laughs> not real. That's, that's off of I don't know, Hoth or something like that. (laughs) No, they are very cool antelope. And they also used to live in Ukraine. Their populations are pretty small um, these days. And they did recently have kind of a mass die off uh, due to a bacteria infection, I believe, but they have bounced back. Um, But they are a very cool animal that I'm sure we can talk about more in a later episode it
0: also still critically endangered
1: also first, so critically yeah. endangered yeah no both of these animals like hey ukraine doesn't really have them but the world almost doesn't have them either yeah. so so yeah there's a there was a, a just a couple sources on this one it's actually hard to find maybe it's just english-speaking websites that have sort of a nice history of ukraine's wildlife going on but there's a really great article on therevelator.org, which is 20 endangered species at risk in Ukraine. Um, it's by someone named John R. Platt. He has kind of framed it in terms of when you have human conflict around and already these species in peril, this is just another complicating factor when you don't have resources or you have like just literal conflict with arms, uh, around you can destroy habitat and end up impacting species too. Um, but it's a really interesting article. Uh, There's like a species of birch tree that's only found in Ukraine. And I would have covered some of those things that were only found in Ukraine a little bit more in depth, but they were things like trees that I couldn't find a lot of information about (laughs) and like a type of fly, like that kind of stuff. So, um, there's lots of cool and unique wildlife in Ukraine. Um, so check out that article that deserves a shout out, I think.
0: And I think what I really enjoyed about tonight and hopefully you all did too, is that it doesn't have to be, I mean, I, I learned about a couple of new animals tonight and that was really fun. Uh, but I think that it is just fun too. I mean, the same thing when we did our wildlife of Florida episode, like it is sometimes just fun to get Reacquainted with these things, and I really enjoyed learning about the similarities between the wildlife that we have here and the wildlife that is is there. And so, I think that, you know, feeling of sort of connection is what one of the things that I liked about our discussion tonight.
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's bird watchers in Ukraine. There are wildlife enthusiasts in Ukraine who there are amazing scientists in Ukraine who have studied a lot of these species. So. We are all connected by nature and a lot of other things, but I think nature is kind of one of those fundamental things you can't really take away. We live on earth and that's what unites us all, no matter who you are. So thanks for listening. And we will be back with the closing of our episode in just a moment. Welcome back to the closing of our episode. Normally I call this like the challenge or the homework section, but you guys get a week off.
0: <laughs> we don't need any challenges.
1: this week. <laughs> the challenge has already been brought by the world. So take care of yourself this week. That's I guess a challenge for some of us already. So that's your challenge. So take care of yourself. Call a friend connect with another human being in some sort of meaningful way, check in, take your nature time, be outside. If you have resources to give to people in conflict all around the world, to give aid to those who are impacted, not just in Ukraine, but in Yemen and Palestine and Ethiopia and all of the other places that are impacted by a conflict. You know, I think that's one way to help.
0: And Casey and I talked about this, last week, not on the podcast, but just with each other. And I know that I was feeling rather overwhelmed and I'm in a situation where I'm currently spending much more money than I'm making. (laughs) But I don't have a lot to give, but I have found that even just making a quick $5 donation sounds really silly, but it did make me feel better. (laughs) So if you can, if you feel so moved, it might help if if you're struggling with how you're it, feeling too.
1: I guess I can speak a little bit on. So last week, I, I work at a garden center for my dad. Um, We made a post on social media just with the sunflower saying that our our thoughts were out with the Ukrainians. We have a really large Ukrainian community in my town. There's actually a Ukrainian church um, where I live and it got such wide feedback that we decided to start a fundraiser and we're selling like little ribbons for $2 and we've raised over $600 for, um, for basically women, children, and the elderly in Ukraine. And the feedback that we've gotten from the community has been basically that our dollars go a really long way in other parts of the world. So what might seem like a small donation to you, Remember money is relative in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. So that little bit of aid could make a really big difference. And there's lots of ways to help. Um, we found our organization, there's an article on in NPR where they had all the reputable ones. So if you're really worried about being the victim of a scam, that for me was really helpful to know that there's a curated list of reputable places where, you know, that your money is going to make a difference. And a lot of those places work internationally. So they're also helping in other areas too. So Um, but the, again, the feedback that we got is that they are so grateful for, um, anyone speaking out and anyone providing aid. And so if, yeah, if you're moved to, and you can, you should do it. If not, just take take care care of yourself. yourself. Don't watch the news all the time. Spend some time Googling Russian Desmond's laughing at each other.
0: (laughs) 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 Yes. Yes. Take care of yourself. We appreciate you all so much. If you want to reach out to us at all, we have lots of ways again, that you can get in touch. You can visit us on Facebook at a little greener podcast. You can visit us on Instagram at a little greener pod. We are on Twitter at a greener podcast, and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or just want
1: to say hello <laughs> we always <Hi>, appreciate <laughs> hearing from you <laughs> well thanks sarah thanks for joining me on this adventure and being my podcast co-host who's so great and um we're approaching a year of recording together we are our year anniversary <laughs> is coming up mm-hmm. in just
0: a couple of weeks so gosh we'll have to think of a way to celebrate so yeah thank you casey thanks for your discussion tonight and thanks for being wonderful. Always. I 1000% couldn't do this without you. So, uh, I'm glad to be on the journey with you and to everybody listening. Thanks as well for making this such a great almost year of a little greener.
1: Woo-hoo. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Bye.